Hello and welcome to today's episode. So today I have part two of Neville Goddard's lecture, Catch the Mood. And again, this is undated, so I don't know what year he gave this lecture. But this is the continuation. So Neville continues to tell his audience, in scripture, above and within are the same. Below and without are the same. So when you read, I am from above, he's telling you, I am from within. For he tells you the kingdom of heaven is within you. Luke seventeen twenty one. So I am from above. Therefore, I am from within. You, the outer man, you are from without. Therefore, you are from below. You are of this world. I don't have to remain anchored to what my senses dictate and tell me that I am. I need not be here. You looking at me from the outside as the outer man will say, Neville is on the platform. Knowing my complete outer world, you would know my restrictions, my limitations. You do not know my ambitions, my dreams, my wishes. I and I alone know my ambitions and my wishes. The inner man knows them, and he knows how to enter these states and prepare a state for the outer man to fulfill it. The outer man can't do it. The outer man is completely anchored by his senses and confirmed by his, his reason. Now let me share with you a simple story. At the time that it happened, it seemed an impossible thing. Right after the war was over, I took the first trip out with my wife and the little girl to the island of Barbados in the West Indies. I made no preparation for return. I sailed from New York. I thought I would go and stay a few months in the island with my family who were all in Barbados, making no preparation for my return. Then it came time for my return, for I had a schedule in New York in the first week of May. I arrived in Barbados the last of December and had these four heavenly months, or almost four, when I went to the steamship company. They showed me a list which was as long as from here to there of people waiting to get on the boat. That was only in the island of Barbados. There were lists equally long in all of the other islands. Trinidad, St. Vincent, Grenada, all the islands. And only two ships servicing all the islands. One little one taking 60 passengers and one taking 125 passengers. And hundreds and hundreds in each island waiting. Well, they said... Why, Mr. Goddard, you couldn't get out of this island until the month of October at the earliest. I said, is that your final verdict? They said, why, that's final. Look at the list, and this is only in Barbados. This is the month now of April. I never thought of applying before that. My brother Victor said, how on earth could you have left New York, the capital of the world, the financial capital of the world? They know everything there how to do these things. Why didn't you arrange there when you left for return? I said, and it never occurred to me. It doesn't really matter. I sat in my hotel room in Barbados and got comfortable. And then I assumed that I was in a little boat, a little tender, taking me off to the waiting ship in the bay. I could feel the rock of the little boat. In that boat, I placed my family, a few members of my family, my brother Victor, my sister Daphne, and one or two others and naturally my wife and my little girl. Then I felt the ship come alongside the main ship that would take us back to New York. 
and then in my imagination, I assumed that my brother Victor took my little girl and stepped on to the gangplank and walked up with her, and I aided my wife next, and then my sister Japney, and then I got on, and we went up. When I got to the top of the gangplank, all in my imagination, giving it all the sensory vividness, giving it all the tones of reality, I have no committed stateroom, so I could not go down to the stateroom. I simply turned at the top of the gangplank, walked three or four steps, and then put my hands on the rail, so I could smell the rawness of the sea. I could feel the salt driven by the wind. I could feel it on the rail, and then I looked towards the island with nostalgia. I was leaving a perfectly lovely island with so many members of my family, and yet it was a divided feeling. I was happy to be leaving because I had to get back to New York on my way to Milwaukee, and then at the same time I was split in my emotion because there was a sadness, like a sweet sadness leaving them, and still happy to go. And that's the mood that I caught. I caught that feeling. I can't tell you if you go and yet reluctantly so. Or, I'm sorry, I can't tell you if you haven't had the experience of going. Any place being divided between wanting to go and yet reluctantly so. Because you are leaving something precious behind you. Well, that was my mood. I caught the mood. And then I kept on looking at the island. And then I broke it. And here I am, sitting in my chair in the room in the hotel on Barbados. The next morning, the phone rang. As I answered, it was the Alcoa Steamship Company calling, Mr. Goddard, we've just received a cable from New York, canceling a passage sailing on the next ship, which could put you in New York on the first day of May. Would you like it for you, your wife, and your daughter? It's a smaller stateroom. Really, there are only two bunks, but your little girl is only three years old, and so she could sleep either with you or with Mrs. Goddard. But there are two bunks, and there is a private bath. Everything is perfect, but you know the ship is small. It will only carry 60 passengers. I said, I'll be right down. So I went down, and I thought I would find out some more details. I asked the agent, why the cancellation? Well, she said, I can only speculate. They didn't tell us. They cabled us. There was a cancellation for the return trip. I said, all right, it's canceled. Why didn't you give it to any of the others waiting? There were hundreds and hundreds waiting. Well, she said, we have one lady here, an American lady, who has been bothering us week after week to get her out of Barbados back to New York. So we called her first and she said, it's not convenient for me to go now. So then we called you because you have three to go. And I thought you could use the room for the three of you. And we will not notify any of the other hundreds waiting. So I asked no further questions. I took it and got back in time for my place in New York and then my place in Milwaukee. When I first tell that story, the usual reaction is, was that a fair thing to do? Can you imagine that? Was that a fair thing to do with all the others who are waiting? I wasn't running the Alcoa Steamship Company. I was applying the principle of God. I wouldn't care if one million people were there. I'd jump over one million. That's not my concern. I'm simply applying the law of God. When you desire, believe that you have received it, and you will. As I am told in the 11th chapter of the book of Mark, 29th verse, and whatever you do, whatever you say, 
If you do not doubt that it will come to pass, it will be done for you. Well, I did what I am told in Scripture I ought to do. Believe that I had received it, and act upon that belief. So I acted upon the belief. What would I do if it were true? I would go up the gangplank. In those days, back in 1945, we did not have a deep water harbor. We have one now, but then you had to go out to the ship by a little tender. So I did exactly what I would have to do if I went aboard the ship. So I got aboard the little ship, and then as we got to the big ship, strangely enough, my brother Victor went up with my little girl in his arms, the very first one to step off. And then here came my wife, here came my sister, just in the order that I had imagined it. I wouldn't care if that order was broken or not, but it did happen in the order that I imagined it. So I tell you, I have found you. Who? Found who? I have found the Lord Jesus Christ. You did? What does he look like? He looks just like me. Have you found him? Well, don't look at me, because when you find him, he's going to look just like you. That's the Lord Jesus Christ, just like you. There is no other Lord Jesus Christ. He actually became you, that you may become the Lord Jesus Christ. And when you see him, he is just like you. So do not turn to anyone in this world and say, there he is. For that's a lie. Or here he is. That's a lie. So anyone? Telling you that Neville is the Lord Jesus Christ, your Jesus Christ, deny it. Deny it completely. Neville is not the Lord Jesus Christ for you. But I have found the Lord Jesus Christ in me as my own wonderful human imagination. And I share with you what I have found. One day you will find him as your own wonderful human imagination. Then will come the day that everything said of the Lord Jesus Christ in Scripture you are going to experience in the first person, singular, present tense, experience, everything said about it. Then you will know who the Lord Jesus Christ is. Then you will know who the Father is, who really God is. Meanwhile, test him. Go to the extreme test. I tell you, you will find him never failing. He's your own wonderful human imagination. Well, in this story that we started tonight, the two sons are brought now to the father. The father is Isaac, and Isaac is blind. There were two sons. The first one is Esau. He is covered with hair. That's every child born of woman. That is the outer man. For hair means the most external, objective thing in the world. In man, the hair comes first. Then you get the skin. Then you get the fat. Then you get the bones. But the hair is the most external part of man. So he is covered with hair. The next one has no hair. He is hairless. He is Jacob. The word means supplanter. The father has requested a meal. That is why I told you earlier the whole vast world, the whole of life is nothing more than the appeasement of hunger. So the father is hungry and he wants venison properly prepared, as he always loves it, and he gives that command to his first son, Esau. Esau was a hunter. 
He goes hunting for the venison, and he prepares it to please his father. Jacob overhears the request of his father. Remember, his name is Supplanter. But the command was given to his brother Esau. So he slays a goat and skins it, and he puts the skin upon his body to deceive his father into believing that he is Esau. He prepares the goat and brings it to his father. And he says, Father, and Isaac answers, Yes, my son. Then Isaac said, I am blind, my son. I cannot see. Come close that I may feel you, that I may touch you. And covered with the skin of the goat, he comes close. And Isaac stretches forth his hand and touches him. He said, You know your voice sounds like my son Jacob, but you feel like my son Esau. And then he gave him the blessing. And then, having been given the blessing, Jacob disappears. Then his son Esau comes with the venison. And he said, Who are you? He said, I am your son Esau. Well, he said, It must have been your brother who came. And I thought him to be you, and I gave him the blessing. And I cannot reverse it. I cannot take it back. I have blessed him, and the blessing remains his. So you close your eyes, and you are Isaac. You cannot see. Isaac is blind. Shut your eyes, and you can't see the room. Now inwardly you have the two sons. The outer room is your Esau. You shut it out completely, and they both go hunting. Esau comes after. Jacob comes first. And he gives the tones of reality to his father. His father is his own wonderful I am. Well, that's God. God's name forever is I am. So I am is waiting to feel the tones of reality of what he wants. And he feels it to be so real, so natural. Now he knows this thing is subjective. So he said, you sound like Jacob, but come closer, my son, that I may feel you. And he feels him as I felt the rail on the ship, as I could smell the salt of the sea and the wind, as I could see mentally the island, as I could feel the ship rolling a little under my feet. All this was the tone of reality. This now is Esau. It seems real, and so I am giving a reality to this state. I am giving a blessing to it. Then I open my eyes to find I am sitting on a chair in my hotel room. Well, suddenly Esau returns. Well, Esau was the place that I left. The room that I sat in was my Esau. That was the objective world. It comes back, and I say, what have I done? I went into a state, and I clothed it with reality. I gave it all the tones of an objective world. And it seemed so real to me that I gave it the blessing to be real, to be born. Now this comes back. And now, without one word spoken, it is telling me, you deceived yourself, you were deceived by my brother, the subjective state called Jacob. And I say to myself, knowing who God really is, he can't take back his blessing. He gave it the right to be born, the right to become objective, the right to become real. And in 24 hours it was born, it was real. And then three weeks later I sailed on that ship, and completed the entire journey. I've repeated it over and over again, and it never fails. And those who will believe it, and who will put it to the test, cannot fail. 
they cannot fail. This is the principle of scripture. So will you actually give it the tones of reality? Will you actually, first of all, believe that the God that you are now worshiping as something without actually exists within you as your own wonderful human imagination? If you will believe that and not think me blasphemous for telling it and think me something accursed for having spoken it, but may I tell you, I hope for your sake you will believe it. But really, in my heart of hearts, whether you believe it or not, I am not concerned. Because the day will come, you will have to believe it. Because you will experience it. If, I, if only I can aid you to hasten the day, that's why I am here. But to actually say I'm going to hit you over the head and make you believe it? No, I am not indifferent to your believing. I can only appeal to you to believe it for your own good, that you may take whatever you have and transcend it by the use of this law. Whatever you have in this world, may I tell you, no one is really satisfied. I dined well today, but tomorrow I'm going to be hungry, and hunger is forever with man, and God is the ultimate satisfaction of hunger, but that hasn't yet come upon the majority. He tells us in the 8th chapter, the 11th verse, of Amos, I will send a famine upon the world. It will not be a hunger for bread or a thirst for water, but for the hearing of the word of God. Now that comes at the very end, for the average man is not hungry for the word of God. He is complacent. He will say, I am a Christian. So what? I am a Christian. I go to church. I contribute to the church, and so he thinks that means all that he does is a Christian. It stops right there. Well, the hunger is not satisfied because when he sends that hunger upon the individual, nothing but an experience of God can satisfy that hunger. Well, until he sends that hunger, all the other hungers can be satisfied, like the hunger for security, the hunger for a better job, the hunger for a raise, an authority in your present position, the hunger for, you name it, every hunger can be satisfied if you apply this principle. But then will come that day he will send the famine upon you, for you are the earth of which he speaks. It hasn't a thing to do with the world, the famine in the world, or whether there's famine all over the world because they don't know how to satisfy their hunger. There is a famine, but that is not the famine of which he speaks. He says it's not a hunger for bread, it's not a thirst for water, but for the hearing of the word of God. So I am giving you the word of God as I personally have experienced it. So tonight you try it. Close your eyes to the obvious. That's Esau. Send him hunting, and then become self-deceived. In his absence, bring in the second son, who is the Lord from heaven, and clothe him in the tones of reality, and feel how real it is. Give him all sensory vividness, and when it takes on the tones of reality, open your eyes. Then Esau comes back from the hunt, and then you tell him what you've done, and he cries out because your son, the second man, has deceived you and betrayed him the second time. 
Every day you can apply this principle and become self-deceived, but it works. But always keep it within the frame of the golden rule so that no one will be hurt. I do not care who did not get the passage north. I do not care what prompted the woman not to take it. I do not care what prompted the passenger from New York to cancel it. I have no complaints, no words. I simply did what I was called upon to do. I wanted to get out. I found, I found myself locked in, locked in until October at the earliest, with my commitments in Milwaukee going. I couldn't do that. I had to get back, and get back I did. So I tell you this principle cannot fail you, but we are the operant power, and you do not get down on your knees and pray to an external God. Do exactly what the great William Lyons Phelps did, and say to the whole vast world, I am not talking to you, my dear. I'm communing with myself, and if I give thanks for what has happened, I don't give it to you. I give it to the being within me. Within me. Constant praise for this miraculous power that is housed within me, and you walk in the consciousness of being constantly praiseful for this miraculous power that became you, that you may become it, and that power is the Lord Jesus Christ who is in you, and there is no other. So when the whole vast world is looking for him to come from without, as the great evangelist today has said, it is imminent, he is on us. He is coming. I'm here to greet him. He will wait forever in vain, for when he comes, he is not coming from without. When he comes, he rises from within, and you are he. So he's reaching millions of people, but he's in kindergarten. And what do you expect? He cannot give them more than milk, but in time, you've got to be weaned from milk and take meal or take meat and then the true meaning of the great mystery of the Christian faith. So the world has accepted it in a little story, all well and good, but don't forever and ever, or, but don't forever and forever go on seeing only the little story. Learn to extract the meaning of the story, and hope it unfolds within you. Meanwhile, you apply what you have heard tonight, and before I leave the city, at the end of next week, you should be able to tell me that what you tonight desire you have. Now let us go into the silence. <coughs> Excuse me. Okay, so that was part two, uh, the f end of Neville Goddard's lecture, Catch the Mood. So thank you so much for joining me for another episode. And um, I hope everyone has a wonderful day or evening, depending on where you are at. And I will see you guys in the next episode. I thank you so much.